Hello, and welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up with Lorelai and Rory's pop culture references, and also a podcast where all Gilmores talk alike, but every Gilmore is talking in their own way, and probably unhappy in their own way, you might say. I'm Taylor. And I'm a little, that, that thought sounds a little maybe incomplete, but I'm Kyla, and I'm here to understand it better. Sorry, I was trying to deal with all these notes on Anna Karenina, and sorry, that's I just couldn't keep it straight. Well, I was too busy dealing with these notes. Well, um, you know, I, I understand and that you're upset, and I hope we can just find the, find the good in your notes and share yeah. that. To clarify, these are spark notes I'm referring to. <laughs> I don't know if you realize this, but when you spark note a long book, the spark notes are really long too. Man, spark notes saved me. Or they didn't save me because then I missed out on some great books. But man, did I spark note <laughs> it up in high school. Here is hoping you did not copy answers. And no. if you did, here's hoping you didn't get caught like several of my classmates did Ooh. when we read The Great Gatsby in high school. Ouch. The teacher called out the classroom because apparently several people turned in very similar answers about symbolism in The Great Gatsby. The, the green Don't do light it, at the end of the dock is symbolizing. I know. <laughs> the green light at the end of the dock says that these easy spark notes will pave the way to get your American dream. I understand, but if you don't get caught now, you will get caught eventually. Don't do it. Yeah. And also don't do it just because you will get caught, but don't do it because you can learn things if you don't cheat. And this has been the PSA for stay in school, kids. The more you know. Oh, man. I can't speak to that too much because I found many ways to avoid learning. I will admit to that in school. In college, however, I was better because, you know, I cared about what I was studying. But in high school, yeah. I'm sorry. If if there's a way to not have to learn French and still get a B in French, <laughs> I, I did that. Well, and for me, I feel like it was the flip-flop because then in college, you just don't have time. Are we going on a digression of how we <laughs> I, studied in high school and college? <laughs> This is so irrelevant. Stay in school, kids. That's the summary. Oh, uh, and so basically, all that to say, Anna Karenina. That's what we're talking about today. But guess what? We watched a movie about it because we're not going to read uh-huh. Leo Tolstoy for this podcast. We tell you not to cheat in school, but we cheated a little bit by watching a movie <laughs> and reading the Spark Notes about a woman who cheated on her husband. Ooh, but hey, full circle. We cheated. She cheated. Everybody cheats. But stay in school. Right. But it is very on brand for us to watch a movie. So I think yeah, I think it's understandable. Also, I really love doing this podcast with you. But also, I don't want to read an 800-page book just for the sake of the podcast. I've no. done it before and enjoyed it. But I'm not going to do it for a two-week episode because... Um, I'm not the world's best reader. I like it. I hear you. And I'm books tend to sit on my shelf for a couple years before they get read. And why read 800 pages when you can read four pages of Spark Notes? <laughs> yes. Lesson learned. But what episode of Gilmore Girls are we talking about first and foremost? Oh boy, you mean you don't want to hear more about growing up in school and how I studied eh. in the evenings? Eh. 
Mm, no, we're here to talk about Gilmore Girls. The episode of Gilmore Girls we are talking about today is Gilmore Girls 412, A Family Matter. First aired February 3rd, 2004. And here's our plot summary. Lane fits right in at Yale. Almost. Luke's sister Liz visits for her high school reunion and Jess returns to get his car. Yes, my love Jabilia's back. <laughs> Meanwhile, with Jamie in town, Rory makes Paris decide between her two guys. Lorelai finds money is tight. She and Jason agree to let her parents know they've been dating, but that's easier said than done. A lot of plot threads going on here. Yeah, they really got into all of them. Mm-hmm. Lots of family matters, which is very fitting for what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, for the episode title, for the reference we're discussing today, which is right around one of those first ones referenced in the plot summary, which is Jess comes back to get his car after Liz shows up for her high school reunion. Our first meeting of Liz. Mm-hmm. And Luke, of course, has to lament to Lorelai about everything. God, what a lie it all is. Oh, what is? Families. I mean, they're just messes. It's, it's like a spilled drink that keeps spilling, and you, you gotta keep cleaning it up, and you, you scrub, and you scrub, and you just can't get the stain up. <sighs> Show me a happy family. Just just one. I mean, didn't that Tolstoy guy say something about families? Probably. It's a famous thing he said. It's like all families are unhappy or, 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 or happy on the surface, or unhappy in the same way, or... Uh, Sounds a little incomplete. Well, you know, maybe you couldn't complete the thought because you was dealing with a stinking family. Taylor, could you have filled in the blanks of this quote for Luke? Maybe. I mean, I've definitely heard the actual real quote that he dances around before. I may not have gotten it word for word, but basically, yes, I had heard this quote before. Nice. Maybe that's because you were reading several hundred page books. I, however, was not, and I did not know this quote at all. Okay. Tolstoy, well, I knew was an author, probably. Yes. In high school, I watched a film adaptation of War and Peace with Audrey Hepburn, because as we've discussed, love me some Audrey. <laughs> However, the movie adaptation is not very good, by all accounts, including my own. <laughs> and I think in general, I've just been sort of reluctant to dive into the lengthy world of Tolstoy for that reason because if even the movie is not that great Mm -hmm. then why would I want to read in a thousand page version of the movie I didn't like well many people well as the people who I always go to movies with that are based on books who have already read the book and of course I never have they always (laughs) say ah the book was so much better and even your comment last episode about you don't if you wouldn't have read Harry Potter, then you think that you wouldn't have known what was going on. But I've been watching the Harry Potter movies. I've not read Harry Potter, and I feel like I get it. And But I think you're right. It's like, that's eh, magic, whatever. <laughs> yes. I think magic covers a multitude of plot holes mm-hmm. in that world. I think high level, you can totally understand what's going on in Harry Potter. However, we can get into a whole thing about how them cutting out the backstory of the Marauder's Map in The Prisoner of Azkaban just really cuts its emotional weight. But we'll do that Mm. another time. I gotcha. Yeah, the the map was just kind of like a cool magic thing. Neat. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I have yes. watched the Harry Potter movies several times before, but I'm rewatching them because, you know, quarantine. Yeah. Totally fair. Anyway. Well, <laughs> uh, so bottom line, neither you nor I were very familiar with Tolstoy. Nope. Do you feel like you get the big picture of what he's saying in this moment? Yes. I understood what he was saying, basically. All families are a little unhappy is what he was getting at. But, uh, but yeah, didn't know about Tolstoy. I think, yeah, big picture, I kind of know what he's getting at, but why not just say that? Unless you're going to quote somebody, in which case we got to learn about the reference. Yep. So we watched the 2012 adaptation of Anna Karenina, starring Kira Knightley as Anna Karenina. Yes. Well, here, let me, I want to give you a little overview and see if any of this sounds familiar. All right. We have Keir Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Dome Hall Gleason in a movie directed by Joe Wright. Does any of this sound familiar? I know that they did movies together, but I do not personally know the movies. So, but I'm sure (laughs) that's Uh, where you come in, Taylor. One of my... All-time favorite movies. Like, all-time. Oh. Pride and Prejudice, Uh, 2005. Same director, same, like, a bunch of the same cast. I kept watching (laughs) it. I was like, oh, that person from Pride and Prejudice. And I did have a little moment where, in this movie, Matthew McFadden and Keira Knightley are playing brother and sister. But they enter a ball and dance together, and a little part of me was like, is this kind of like for Elizabeth and Darcy the rest of their lives like (laughs) anyway so I nerded out a little bit at that moment um Mm -hmm. but we also have Alicia Vikander Michelle Dockery Cara Delevingne and Aaron Taylor Johnson playing Count Vronsky who was in Avengers Age of Ultron Mm -hmm. and Jude Law my boy love that guy (laughs) and also won an Oscar for Best Costume Design. We'll definitely be talking more about that. Mm-hmm. And it was also nominated for Best Cinematography, Original Score, and Production Design. Yeah. And yeah. holy cow, this was a beautiful movie. Mwah. Yes, it was so well done. It was so artful, so rhythmic. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was It was a piece of art. It wasn't just, you know, a movie with a plot. It was visually stunning yeah and if for some reason you don't want to watch this version there are over 200 results on imdb for anna karenina including (laughs) at least eight miniseries movies as early as 1910 and you can watch people like vivian lee greta garbo and jacqueline Bissett play anna karenina like you have (laughs) a thousand options but i'm really glad we picked picked this one because it was just gorgeous yeah, I agree. And I love Kira Knightley. Yes. She's like, good. So good. Love her. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about the plot of Anna Karenina? Yeah. So, first of all, you've got Anna Karenina. Mm-hmm. Kira Knightley. In case you were, in case you were wondering. Um, there is a character named Anna Karenina. And she's married to a very upstanding citizen of Russian society. And this was based in the 19th century. Yes, the book came out in the 1870s, and that's when it was set. Yeah. 
they're a seemingly happy couple. They have a son. And Kira Knightley hears that her brother is has been cheating on his wife. And she's going to rush off to Moscow because they live in St. Petersburg. So she's going to rush on over to Moscow to visit with her sister-in-law and say, Hey, you should forgive my brother because back in the day, what other choice is there? Yeah. <laughs> Let him back in. And so on her way, though, she locks eyes with Count Vronsky, who, okay, upon first glance... I was like, I was a little put off. It's like, you got this blonde, unnatural looking blonde, curly hair, a weird shape, and this little, little tiny stash, which at one point in the movie, because they have a love affair, spoiler alert, she licks that little stash, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I must have looked away at just that moment, and I'm not sad I did, because I don't remember that, but. <clears throat> um... I digress. So they lock eyes. And yes, at first, a little off-putting to me. But then, like, as you see him more and they just keep locking eyes, locking eyes, like, his eyes are piercing. And just when he is looking at her, like, I'm just so staring back at him so intently. I don't know. Did you feel that from him? He, yes, he has lovely eyes. I have no complaints. I, and I don't say that in a, like, objectifying way. I just mean, like, he truly has lovely eyes. And as an actor, he knows how to use them to keep your attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could just, like, feel. I was just, like, being pulled toward him. Which yeah. worked with, with this whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that train station, a worker on the train dies, gets crushed by a train. Yeah. Oh. Gross. I looked. I intentionally looked away at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was sad. And just kind of pointed to, like, the different status of the people there because the rest of the, like, the conductor and the people who are more face-to-face with the people riding the trains, they're like, I just cover them up, you know, everyone keep going. And as opposed to, you know, being a little more somber over someone's death. And then Anna says something like, well, can't something be done for his family? And then Vronsky pulls out a wad of cash and runs to the railway workers to make sure it gets there. So yeah. he's definitely trying to get her attention. Yep. She successfully mediates between her brother and his wife, Dolly. And then they go to this ball. And Kitty, Dolly's younger sister, says she's in love with Vronsky. I'm sorry. Vronsky and wants to dance with him and they do once or twice but then the rest of the night is all about him and Anna Karenina yes and Kitty by the end is upset and it's like it seems that it's so obvious to everyone that Vronsky and Anna have something going on when like they're Mm -hmm. really just dancing but I think that's part of the artfulness of the movie is that yeah. the dance was so intense that everyone could see. Well, and it sounds like in the book, Kitty falls ill. Like, she's so devastated by losing the mm-hmm. man she's in love with that she just, like, completely collapses. Oh, wow. And is near death. Never mind the fact, though, <laughs> that she has gotten another marriage proposal mm-hmm. from an old family friend, Levin, and she turns him down because she's in love with Vronsky. Mm-hmm. 
and that doesn't work out so hot, and he's pretty disappointed, so he just goes back to his country estate and mopes is yeah. the short summary. A lot Basically. of moping. <laughs> yeah. So Anna heads back to St. Petersburg without doing anything besides dancing with mm-hmm. Vronsky, right? They talk a little, mm-hmm. and she's like, the, go away, bye. Yeah. And goes home, doesn't necessarily convince her sister-in-law to take her brother back, but tries. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought there was a reconciliation there that she was trying to, I'll stick it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought, I, I couldn't tell if by then she had agreed or if it was later mm-hmm. that she agreed, but neither here nor there. And Anna goes back to her husband and all is chill, except Vronsky then comes into town because he is in the military and, you know, moves about as he's told. And he's pretty obvious about trying to make a connection with her there. I mean, they ride the same train back to Moscow. Or, I mean, Mm -hmm. back to St. Petersburg. Googly eyes all over the place. Yes. (laughs) And they have several other meetings in which she attempts to resist his advances and her attraction to him. And eventually just gives in. They start an affair. And several people have commented publicly about it. At first, when her husband, Jude Law, Karenin, attempts to address this with her, she's like, you're crazy. Nothing's going on. However, after a time, he asks her, what's up? And she's like, you're totally right, and I'm pregnant. Oh, from and one it's not your baby. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Yes. And this comes after Vronsky is in a horse race with his beloved horse, Fru-Fru, which, <laughs> why not? That name. I know. He's so serious, the whole movie, but the name of his horse is Fru-Fru. Yeah. And he is in an accident in the race, makes a mistake. The horse breaks its back. And he, you know, flies off his horse. And in the middle of this race, it's pretty clear that she's upset that he has been hurt. Mm-hmm. She screams out. Also, she and her husband both have, or I'm sorry, her husband and her lover have the same first name. Yes. Which sort of gives her a pass when she shouts his name aloud. But when her husband is like, I'm right here, she doesn't care. She's clearly more interested in the other Alexi. Yeah. He has to kill the horse, and that's when she confesses what's going on with her lover to her husband. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want a divorce because he doesn't want a scandal, and it just seems like it becomes torture at home for everybody. Yeah, I was waiting for him to lash out, but he Mm -hmm. didn't. Like, he remained so calm which I was glad because I did not want to watch another woman back in the day being abused by her husband, and there's nothing she can do about it. So I was glad that that didn't happen. And he's actually, he's not, a, like, an evil person. No, huh I do think it's, you know, frustrating that he seems very concerned with appearances, and it seems like his reason for not wanting the divorce is mostly just he doesn't want other people to gossip 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wish he would be like, actually, I love you and I want to take care of you and make sure that no harm comes to you. That's why I want to stay together. So he does have this superficiality about him, but he's not mm-hmm. mean. He's just kind of cold. He's not very warm. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And even at the beginning of the movie, she doesn't seem entirely unhappy with him. It's more like mm-hmm. when she meets somebody else, all of a sudden she's like, oh, I feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. And she thinks she's going to die for some reason from childbirth. She's and having nightmares. Yeah. So she gives birth. Baby's fine. A little girl named Anya, I think is how you mm-hmm. pronounce it. But she's bedridden then. She thinks she's deathly sick. And Vronsky and her husband, both Alexis, come to her bedside. And it's kind of this weird moment. Like, she wants them all to be friends. I actually, if the movie had ended right here, there's a little part of me that, like, would have been at peace with it. Because her husband forgives her. She asks her forgiveness. Mm -hmm. The two men that she loved find their common goal in that, hey, at least we, like... Obviously, we've had differences, but we both care about Anna, and we hope, you know, like, that's more important Mm -hmm. than our fight over her. But then she does not die, and she is still stuck in this now especially unhappy marriage. Mm -hmm. He still won't get a divorce, and she still wants to be with Vronsky. Yeah. So then they do run off with each other. And except they don't really run, they're like still in town. Yeah. And... Well, they do go to the to Italy for a while. It's more clear in the book. They go south, which in the book is mm. Italy. In the movie, they just <laughs> like we're gonna go south for a while. Yeah. So, and she just reconciles the fact that she will not be able to see her son anymore because she says he'll understand when he's old enough to love. Which is. Also sad because at the beginning of the movie, you see her son, Serioja, has a much better relationship with her than he yeah. does with his father. Once yeah. again, he's not abusive, but he's not very affectionate. Right. So they are together, and then they come back to the area. She wants to see her son on his birthday. She's told no by, by her husband, but she comes in, and her son is really happy to see her. But then they get torn apart. I mean, but then, you know, she has to leave and yeah, she stays with his dad. And this is where, I mean, she's already been struggling with some of this, but her paranoia and jealousy just starts mm-hmm. getting the better of her. And um, other people are trying to win Vronsky's affection. His mother is trying to set mm-hmm. them up. And one evening... Anna decides to go to the theater, even though she is a considered a scandalous woman right now. Yeah. She goes, and she's basically shunned for mm-hmm. most of the evening, and she's basically not allowed to participate in society anymore. Yeah. Never mind that Vronsky is okay. This yeah. is a whole discussion we can get into. <laughs> Long story short, he's doing okay. What else with them before it just literally comes to (laughs) an end of the tracks? Yeah, and I think once she saw that her reputation was how severely damaged it was, 
I think she was just out for self-sabotage and thought that Vronsky yeah. was getting it on with Cara Delevingne. Don't think that he was. I does not no, seem that I, way. Spark Notes confirms he still loves her to the end and is faithful to her. Yeah. So she then takes a car to the train station and I think she calls out sorry god like she apologizes and then mm-hmm. she just falls onto the tracks yeah and she looks much more elegant than the train worker did at the beginning of the movie who died <laughs> yes but yeah and she yeah. dies and then you see her husband taking care of both of her kids mm-hmm. in the end well and we've been sort of glossing over it but we are cutting back and forth between her story and Levin and Kitty's story. Yeah. After some time, Levin and Kitty are reunited. They have this really cute scene where mm-hmm. they use these blocks on the table to oh try and play goodness. a game. Because they're being both very shy around each other yeah. after, you know, this previous rejection. And they play this little game with letters on the table and they basically figure out that they both still care about each other and they get married. There's also a story, his brother um, lives with a prostitute and, of course, as a lot of other people consider this a big scandal, but when his brother gets sick and is near death, Kitty has no problem taking care of his family. Mm-hmm. With um, they his, have... his brothers. He considers her his... His wife, wife Masha. basically. Mm-hmm. But other people, of course, don't. And But Kitty has no problem with this. Um, mm-hmm. They're all in a family together. And she's more, even more help to the brother than Levin is. Mm-hmm. And they end up living out in the country together. And they have a child. And I lo- really liked this moment at the end of the movie... They don't really tell you what, but he tells you he's kind of made a realization about life. And you can just see this, like, almost this. I love Don Hal Gleason, but he just has this, like, peace that comes over him as, mm-hmm. like, playing this part. And you can tell, like, he's just really satisfied with his family and living kind of the simple life out in the country. Yeah. Now they do, He they are wealthy because he owns all this land. Mm-hmm. And it's farmland, so he has people working, and he farms as well. He takes part in the labor. So they have money, but it's a certainly different lifestyle from living in yeah. the city. Well, and Kitty was referred to as princess at the beginning yeah. of the movie. I don't fully understand Russian aristocracy, but she was a princess and, of course, was living a lavish lifestyle. So this, compared to what she was living before, is much simpler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No. You look as lovely as ever, Princess Kitty. I can't say I feel good after reading the Spark Notes that the movie was pretty accurate to the plot of the book. Sounds like, of course, they cut out some storylines, but that's to be expected for a page or for a book that's like 800 pages. Yeah. But overall, it sounds like things were pretty similar. And I did read a little bit about the costume design, and it sounds like they even paid attention to what the mm-hmm. costumes were described as in the book to try and be faithful to that. Oh, There's cool. a part where Anna Karenina wears this beautiful black ball gown, 
And of course, mm. the way these costumes are designed, they are not meant to be period accurate, but they chose to keep it black as a way to stay faithful to the book, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, the clothes were amazing. And the headpieces, the veil she would mm -hmm. wear. And they had some really cool details they mentioned. We'll, of course, share this Vanity Fair article in our Tumblr. In this article in Vanity Fair, they were sharing about how they decided to do a lot of these costumes. The costume designer and director worked together, and they even went down to the detail that in the one of the very first scenes with Anna and Vronsky, actually when they meet, she is wearing peacock feathers in her veil and in her hat, mm. and that is a sign of bad luck. Oh. So this whole meeting is, I guess, like it's this little peacock is a nod to the difficult future she's going to have ahead of her. Yeah. And like the costumes that she wears, like – they are dark based on her life circumstances and mood, and they're lighter when mm. she's feeling better about herself. So, like, at the height of her affair yeah. with Vronsky, when she's not jealous and when she's not dealing with the divorce issues, like, she wears a lot of lighter colors, which I think is really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, in a really a lovely scene where they seem very happy, they're both wearing white and they're out in a mm -hmm. field kissing on a picnic blanket. Yeah. So, yeah, that's and cool. one more fun fact about costumes. The actors wore dance shoes at all times because this movie is so mm. dependent on choreography and there is so much movement going around in and out. Some are actual dance scenes and some are just day-to-day -day scenes, but they move a lot in very rhythmic, yeah. choreographed ways. Yeah. Very cool. And this whole movie, it was... You know, we talked about how visually stunning it was, but it was also, it, I mean, it was very themed. And one thing, one imagery, set of imagery they incorporated was a theater. And so sometimes scenes like the horse race, everyone was in a theater and the horse race came by and ran across the stage, which of course would make no sense. But for the movie's sake, that was how they set it up. And in the ending, when Karenin... When he was with the two children at the end, they're on a stage, and but they're they start out in a field, and so the flowers, the grasses just spill down into the seat. So it's that was one really pretty set of imagery in the movie that was unique. And I found a interview that was with the director Joe Wright and Kara Knightley, Jude Law, and Aaron Taylor Johnson from 2012 and it was cool how they how he came to choose that so Joe Wright he was walking around Russia and other places looking scouting locations and he would come upon these castles that you would think would be a good place to film and at one of them someone told him oh yeah we've made seven anachronisms here <laughs> and he just <laughs> thought that was kind of depressing like oh, great, I can do the exact same thing everyone's doing. So that, so I thought, hey, here's an opportunity to do something different, which I want to do that anyway. And uh, here's what he had to say about, about that. I started thinking, well, if this was set in one place, what would it be? And, um, and thought about a book by uh, Orlando Fugels <coughs> called Natasha's Dance, uh, A Cultural History of Russia. And there he talks a lot about how 
um, Russian society of the time um, lived their lives as if upon a stage, that they were constantly, they had a bit of an identity crisis um, and they, um, and so they kind of attached themselves to a kind of French persona. Um, and, and, and that idea I found quite interesting and also I found quite interesting the idea uh, of all these characters as we all do always performing you know so in this situation I'm performing the role of director and you the journalist and and we'll perform different roles when we go home and I and I and I found that that was quite an interesting way into Anna's character that she was you know um, playing a role of, of a dutiful mother and 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 wife and somehow was feeling miscast. I really appreciated the thought that went into that. It wasn't just, oh, hey, this would be cool, let's do it, but about treating your life as a performance. I did think of, is it the Shakespeare quote, all, all life's a stage? I did think of that as we watched the movie. And I thought it was really cool mm -hmm. they had details about how like people walking up in the rafters, kind of symbolizing them walking up and down the street. Her brother and his family basically live underneath the stage. That's their home yeah. in the movie, which I think is really cool. So, like, the first half hour, 45 minutes in the movie, I don't think you leave the theater at all um, until you start going outside. I think maybe when Levin goes back to his country estate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was... And even moments with Keira Knightley, uh, Anna, and her son... They were always on this little smaller stage with mm -hmm. like in a house though. So yeah, it it yeah, it was really cool. It was really throughout. Yeah. Let's talk about Tolstoy. Let's do it. Tolstoy, Tolstoy, Tolstoy say that five times fast. Tolstoy, 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 Tolstoy. Lovely. Uh interesting guy. His marriage, also not so great as it turns out. But in the end, they did a lot. Yeah, but they started did a lot great, of ended not great. Yeah, yeah, they like wrote diaries to each other, like read each other's diaries. At first, it was okay, but then it was intruding on each other's privacy. Anyways, interesting setup there. But you said you had a little more on that. Yeah, it sounds like things started fairly well, like when the book Anna Karenina came out. Actually, the Levin-Kitty relationship was modeled after his own marriage mm, and okay. was very personal to their relationship. Like you said, they felt comfortable reading each other's diaries. They would sometimes like respond to each other's diaries and work out their frustrations and quarrels through them. <laughs> and it sounds like when this book came out, like they were pretty happily married. They had 13 kids. 10 of them lived wow. past young childhood. And it sounds like both Levin and Kitty, the characters themselves, were inspired by the people in this marriage. So Kitty, of course, not a perfect person, but she's very romanticized, I think, in the movie. And mm -hmm. it sounds like in the book as well. His wife was actually a countess from Russian aristocracy, so she had also that sort of lavish upbringing, also that very well-respected upbringing with the title that Kitty has in the story. Mm -hmm. And apparently things did not continue to be going well. They were married for about 50 years also, if you just read the biography of, of Leo Tolstoy, we'll have one in our Tumblr. But it sounds like his experience in life also, like, 
it doesn't sound like it was just their marriage that took a turn. It sounds like he mm. became increasingly unhappy as he got older. And he also, he was open to new political ideas, but then he, for a while, he really leaned into religion. But then, so he was a Christian and was part of the Russian church, but then he basically, like, edited his own Bible and started coming up with his own <laughs> ideas about what religion should be, like throwing out significant portions of the Bible and saying mm. that they were irrelevant, which I'm not saying, as one who has grown up in church, I'm not saying that there are not difficult things in the Bible. But I also, whenever people in history like him or Thomas Jefferson are just like, we're just going to throw out the parts that don't work for us. I'm like, <laughs> I don't feel like you really understand how this works, which I would think yeah. is true for all religions, not just Christianity. Like if you're not going to like at least deal with the things that you don't like, I don't really know what we're doing here. So anyway, I think there were a lot of things going on in his life and he kept a lot of detailed journals. So we know this, <laughs> so we could follow yeah. along with him. And at the very end of his life, I guess after 50 years of marriage, he left. And he left everything to one daughter. And weirdly enough, a few days after he left his wife, he died at a train station. Yeah, that's crazy. That is that just he like... he ended up modeling Anna Karenina. I know. And it was natural causes. It wasn't that he threw himself <laughs> under the train. It was that mm -hmm. he left his family and just a few days later passed away, which is crazy. Yeah. So I, like I said, haven't read these books. You can bet I have not read Leo Tolstoy's journals. But it sounds like there was a lot going on in his life besides his marriage, but it was very unhappy at the end. Yeah. Man, 50 years of marriage. That's long now. Yeah. And that he left... As far as I could tell, he left everything to one daughter, which makes, I don't fully understand how, like, Russian tradition of passing from one generation to the next. Obviously, every culture kind of has their own thing. But if he had yeah. any say in that and decided, I don't want to leave my other nine living children anything, like, that feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, did she share it with? Her siblings? Uh, maybe she didn't like her siblings either, so... I did not research his daughter, so I do not know. Ah, <laughs> uh, next next time. Yeah. But he <laughs> is still considered very influential today. Many people consider War and Peace and Anna Karenina to be some of the best written novels of all time. He mm -hmm. was also very influential on Gandhi his in his ideas of non-resistance. Apparently Gandhi really resonated mm -hmm. with that and it inspired some of how he thought and led his movement as well. Hmm. But as far as, like, it seems like this book, Anna Karenina, was all about, like, happiness. Is it? Because, I mean, the book actually begins with that quote... All happy families are like every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. So he like presents this bit of philosophy at the beginning. And so that's what you're supposed to kind of look at throughout. So it's like a whole philosophy on happiness. And so it's interesting to kind of look at the like stages in his own life of when he was happy, unhappy. And mm -hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. Cool to see. Well, and it sounds like. I think you're totally right from what I read that this book was sort of meant to be a philosophical musing on what happiness is and what the purpose of living is. I think 
I mean, this is more developed in the book, it sounds like, but it sounds like Levin goes through a real existential crisis. And he also mm. is at the point of suicide at one place mm. where he is like, I'm not sure what the point of living is. And it's not because he is having an affair and stuck in a marriage, but because he just doesn't even understand what his purpose is. And yeah. one of the things that Tolstoy invented which we all are very familiar with now, is the interior monologue from characters. So both Anna mm. and Levin get a lot of those in the books. And apparently this was not done before he wrote these books. Oh, okay. So while Shakespeare had done monologues and drama where people <laughs> are actually talking to the audience, he in novel form actually had characters working through these ideas in real time instead of just having a summary of, Anna felt sad. <laughs> It was, and yeah. Anna was feeling this, and then this, and, you know, that's my very um, non-poetic way of describing it. <laughs> and then her monologue. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Going back to the movie, though, I thought you'd appreciate this with your love of Pride and Prejudice. In the same interview I watched, Kira Knightley talks about, you know, playing Anna versus playing Elizabeth Bennet, and I, I liked her reasoning. You know, she started out by saying... Yeah, it was a little scary to play any role and like you should be, she, from her perspective, she said, um, I think you should always be a little scared of what you're doing because then it's a challenge. But she talked about why playing Anna wasn't as scary as playing Elizabeth Bennet. It is fear. I mean, that's always, I think you should always be frightened when you do anything really. But it's funny, you know, dealing with a character that's been done so many times, I, I wasn't as frightened playing her as playing Elizabeth Bennet when we did that. Mm. Um, in Pride and Prejudice because Elizabeth Bennet is somebody that that people love that women in particular they see mm. themselves as they they want to be her you know and she is flawed but she's she's wonderful Anna is this strange kind of dark jewel-like creature who is a fascination but isn't necessarily somebody that people love or want to be and in that way she's sort of less frightening. I mean, I think the most frightening thing mm -hmm. for both of us was just trying not to simplify her, really, mm -hmm. and to kind of keep all of those, as many of those complexities, without her becoming repellent. First of all, can I just, because our viewers can't see Taylor, can I just tell you the smile you had on your face <laughs> listening to Keira Knightley talk about being Elizabeth Bennet? I didn't even and realize I was fate. doing that. I'm yeah, also just smiling just because... <laughs> I'm also smiling just because I... Keira Knightley is one of my all-time favorites. I just think she mm. is so talented, and uh, just every movie I watch her in, she is a delight. But also, as she started talking more about Anna Karenina toward the end, your smirk faded into just more of like a straight <laughs> face. <laughs> so we know your preference. But anyways, yes. so I thought that was kind of, that's so true. When you're playing a known character, there is more pressure, especially when people like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jane Austen fans can be scary. I totally understand why she was intimidated about getting that right because mm -hmm. most Jane Austen fans have opinions on which one is the right version. <laughs> we'll not get into that today for fear of upsetting someone who doesn't have the same opinion on any adaptation. But yeah, no, and I just really appreciate the amount of detail and attention she gives her characters. I just... Everybody, go watch a Cure Nightly movie. She's great. Yeah. Agreed. And actually, you know, this watching this movie made me think of The Great, which is the new show on Hulu. And it was mm -hmm. based on 18th century Russia. So, I don't know if you watched it at all. 
but the great yeah I've gotten about a thousand Instagram ads for it, and they're not wrong because I love Nicholas Holt. He's just one of my favorite. He's another favorite actor of mine that mm. I think is underrated. However, I just, I think I told you recently, I don't really watch new TV shows anymore. I just watch <laughs> movies. So, there you go. No, well, I have not watched it. That's interesting. I didn't know you weren't really trying new TV shows. I, then I must have been talking about this with someone else. I've just gotten to a point in my life where I'm like, I just, I can't invest 60 hours into a thing unless I really, really love it. I would almost just rather watch Gilmore Girls or Parks and Rec again or watch a new movie. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. I got gotcha. you. Anyway, well, tell me about The Great. Well, I tried it. I got a couple minutes into it. Was not feeling very impressed. And then they just made a very unsavory joke about a horrible treatment um, for women that they used to do back in the day before they got married. And I, I think, yes, we know what happened in history, but I don't think we need to like keep bringing things up and making jokes about them when they're just terrible. So any, anyways, I turned it off right after that. So didn't get too into it. So I'm not going to recommend it, but <laughs> it just made me think of this cause it's set in a similar, it feels like a similar time frame. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if if you're okay with uncomfortable jokes and don't feel upset by them, then watch The Great. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, because it did look funny. Nicholas Holt looked hilarious in it. Yeah. Love that guy, but I kind of got the sense it was probably not for me in general. And like I said, I'm just not watching a lot of new TV these days. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we should talk about these families. Yeah. Let's talk about the families. Because they've got some happiness and mostly unhappiness. Yep. We've got Levin and Kitty, then mm-hmm. Levin's brother Nikolai and Masha. We've got or Dolly. Dolly. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Nikolai and Masha, his um, Levin's brother. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Dolly and Oblonsky, Anna Karina and Alexei Karenin, and Anna and Vronsky. Mm-hmm. So, we're... What do we got going on with these? Unhappiness and happiness. One running theme that I thought was interesting, and of course this is not historically surprising, but it was just reinforced watching this movie. The women in general seem to be much unhappier than the men. Overall, that's not 100% true, but um, when Anna cheats on her husband... She is publicly shamed for it, and Vronsky is basically off the hook. Even mm-hmm. his mother says, yes, a dalliance with a married woman. That's just part of growing up, but it's time for you to move <laughs> on. And when Dolly and her husband are dealing with an affair, she's pretty miserable, and her husband just kind of everybody loves him. And it is clear that he continues to cheat on her even after she forgives him. And so then she's just kind of stuck in this situation where no matter what she does, like she doesn't want to be angry the rest of her life, but also Mm -hmm. her husband is not changing his ways. Yeah. So that seemed to be a significant factor in some of the unhappiness. Mm -hmm. And Levin and Kitty, like they start out unhappy because... She's chasing after 
other men who seem a little of higher esteem in the in mm-hmm. their city. And then Levin is trying to figure out, does he need a family to be happy? He's out in the field, you know, focusing on on that. And turns out, yes, he does want a family to be happy. And then his brother, who is just saying, I don't care about the world. I know I just want to be with this woman. Woman even says, like, I got it from a whorehouse, but she's my wife now. <laughs> like, yeah. Not really sure how that got started. Although I guess he probably was a client and then brought her home forever. She seemed happy with it. They seemed happy. So we have, like, all these different structures of, like, of family structures, you know, Anna and Vronsky, a similar boat where they're not considered a real couple, but they can't become one because she's still married. So, mm-hmm. well, and even yeah. her daughter, when they have a daughter together, she stays with Karenin because he has the means to take care of her daughter while Vronsky is in the military and is kind of yeah. positioned all over the place. And something yeah. that also... I noticed it sounds like this it is in the movie but it is developed more in the book both Vronsky and Levin also have issues with feeling tied down by their marriages Vronsky of course wants more promotions but that would involve moving away and being away from Anna Mm -hmm. Levin at one point wants to go visit his brother who lives far away when he's sick and Kitty insists on coming like he doesn't want to bring her at first Mm -hmm. And it sounds like both of them at different points realize their independence is really challenged when they're in a relationship with another person. Yeah. As we discuss this happiness and unhappiness, I think we also need to talk about something that this famous first quote of the book has led to outside of the world of literature and art. And that is the Anna Karenina principle. Are you familiar with the Anna Karenina principle? Only slightly. Okay, well, I was not familiar with it at all, but apparently this is a real thing and it applies to many other areas of life. You can use this in many different industries, but it's probably most well known in the economy. And the idea is that when the market is good, basically all good markets look alike (laughs) because you have to have XYZ factors all lined up for a good market to be there. But every time the market is bad, it looks different than the last time. So you can't really predict how to get out of it or how you will fall into it every time. You just know when the market is good, it will have these factors to it. But if it is bad, good luck. (laughs) Huh. Yes. It is also commonly used in psychology. So the idea is that if you have a bad experience in your life, the impact is probably larger and will have a different effect than if it is good. You like tend to have the same life results if good things happen or if you make good choices in for your mental health or your for for your well-being, but if you make bad choices or bad things are done to you, it could be different every time. So the idea that if you have bad emotions, bad parents, and bad feedback, it will actually have more impact on you than if you have good parents or good feedback or whatever else is going on. So this is a hypothesis more than a proven and tested principle, but it is something that is discussed elsewhere outside of the world of literature. Interesting. I hadn't heard it used in like that many different ways, like the economy and the, or the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So apparently, 
not just families. Hmm. So should we talk about how this fits to the world of Gilmore Girls? Yes. Let's do it. So now, especially with that extra tidbit that you shared about Tolstoy leaving his estate to one of his children, it makes me think that Luke was probably right that Tolstoy was busy <laughs> dealing with his family, whether it was his fault or theirs. Too busy to complete, although he did technically complete his thought because it's in the book, but mm-hmm. <laughs> he definitely could have been preoccupied while writing it. Yes, I think that's probably true. And something I read about and it, just watching the story unfold in the movie, it does seem like everybody's unhappy in some way or another mm-hmm. at some point. It doesn't seem like anyone is perfectly happy, which is probably true to life. Yeah. But it's also like a lot of the unhappiness is caused by someone trying to be an individual while still being in a family unit. So I feel like it seems like Tolstoy is saying maybe nobody's happy because everybody's going to struggle with this at all times. So everybody trying to make decisions that make themselves happy, but then it makes the people around them unhappy. That kind of idea. Right. But it's like we are all individuals and we are all part of families usually. Mm -hmm. So how can you ever... I don't know, be both. You have to sacrifice in both areas, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's kind of how Levin finds happiness in the end, is choosing to be part of a family unit, mm-hmm. even when it doesn't mean he gets to do everything he wants as an independent man, Yeah, I would think. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, in Gilmore Girls, the Gilmores are unhappy, but they figure out a way to be together. Luke and his family, unhappy, but also they end up relying each other on a lot. Luke on his sister, too, in the end. So so he does end up saying, okay, well, maybe... Maybe I need my family a little bit, too, but certainly in this in this moment, he's really frustrated. But yeah, I mean, the families of Gilmore Girls, they're all, they all have their bouts of unhappiness and happiness. Mm-hmm. It does feel like Anna Karenina is a great thing to reference in Gilmore Girls, just because so much of Gilmore Girls, I mean, it is about family. That's its whole crux. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just Lorelai and Rory or you're looking larger. But even in this episode, I mean, this is when Lane and her mom have their falling out that's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And that's another example of Lane trying to find some independence and see where she still, you know, find out who she is and fit in with her family. I mean, Jess has come back to town, which means Mm -hmm. just a tornado of emotions for (laughs) everybody surrounding him. And he's someone who's like, I don't want to be part of a community or a family at all. Seems completely unhappy at the same time. Yeah. And this is also an episode where... Lorelai is trying to say, hey, I'm dating your business partner, Dad. Yeah. (laughs) And that just completely, in a hilarious way, just completely the bottom falls out on that. And she's unable to be honest about that. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, this fits well. This is a good one for Gilmore Girls. Everybody's unhappy, but 
everybody's unhappy in very different ways in this episode with their family. Yeah. Good job, ASP. Yep. So, Taylor? So, Kyla? That's our show? That's our show! Watch Anna Karenina. Enjoy. Yes. Well, and one last fun fact for you. This episode may statistically be more relevant to you than if we had recorded it a few months ago. I read an article in Fast Company saying there is this cool recommendation engine called Taste Dive, and they follow people's interests, and it sounds like people have been going back to the classics in quarantine. So, for example, people are less interested in listening to Billie Eilish than they are in Louis Armstrong right now. Like, the kind of interest has flip-flopped directions, people going back to classic jazz. And now, people are more interested in reading Anna Karenina, a true, tried-and-true classic, than they are with more trendy books like Eat, Pray, Love. Apparently, that's the kind of thing that's gone up right now. So, congrats to you if you are reading or have finished Anna Karenina. You have already done more than we did to prep for this episode. (laughs) I did, however, I guess I'm the exception right now. I did actually make a Billie Eilish playlist today. So. Uh, Okay. Well, it didn't say it went down to 0%. Okay. I'm not saying that. Uh, Well, let us know if you read the book. Because we got to give you props for that. Or if you watch the mm-hmm. movie, also a good move. Leave yes, us a review. It's on Netflix on I- right now. Yeah, super easy to watch. Mm-hmm. And leave us a review. Sign up for our tiny letter. Go to our Tumblr. Links in the mm-hmm. episode description. So it's a show on Twitter. Yeah, all the things. All the things. Here's a teaser for our next step. So. Oh. I'm just wondering what you're thinking about. I'm thinking about nothing. Nothing wouldn't happen to wear a leather jacket and be able to pull off an extremely convincing... Adrian! Would it? No, it wouldn't. 